Welcome to Foxfire Fringe Radio, 2018 first broadcast. I've been away for a while, folks, and it's been kind of an interesting turn of events over the last couple of years, I must say. We are living in strange times, guys, strange and unusual times. We have a president in the U.S. who, well, let's just say he's a wild card. (laughs) We have a young president in Canada, the son of a former president, and he's, well, he's young. We have changes in government all around the world, and it's a very political stage. We're living in very, very strange times. However, my show is a little bit more on the other side of things, the things that are unseen, the things that we question, we wonder about, the possibilities, the questions, and the answers are not always what you think they are to you. Perception is everything. It is key. And everyone's perception is different. I suppose when I was younger, I used to believe one thing, as we all did when we were younger. And then as we grow older, our perception changes. But the one thing that's never changed with me is my curiosity for the supernatural, the paranormal, the wonders of the brain, the unexplored oceans, the imaginary, fantastical possibilities of the unseen world that we live in, the untouchable, the unsmellable, the unseeable, the space in between, you and I, folks. And I know that some of you are joining me for the first time, but I know that there are others who probably come back to uh, join me again. As I used to have a show on Blog Talk Radio, I still do, but I'm not currently broadcasting. However, I just wanted to give a shout out to all the folks over there who were gracious enough to be supportive um, with my time there. Um, as gracious as it was, it, it, it had its challenges, but um, I'm going to try this platform out and see what happens. I feel like it's a good match, a good fit. Um, so I welcome you to join me this year. I know that it's been a while and um, I don't expect a lot of my followers to come back, but I hope that you do because we have so much to talk about and so much to explore yet. And I hope that you join me. So welcome back to Foxfire Fringe Radio, your host, Foxfire, all the way from the Maritimes, Nova Scotia, Halifax, Canada, on the East Coast, on the ocean. So you guys know how uh, interested I am in electromagnetic um, properties, as well as sound residence and frequencies and how it travels, sound traveling and things like that. So I found this article, which is really interesting to me, and I'd like to share it with you, on basically strange metals, they're called. And right now, it's kind of, it will, well, it was released August 3rd, but it's it's a big sort of thing in the science community right now. And what they're talking about is... Um, 
most superconductors basically have really unusual properties, right? And and most of them are normal. Um, for example, copper, you know, the hotter it gets, it, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't burn, it doesn't melt. It's it's really awesome. That's why we use those sort of things for like cooking and baking and um, as well as, you know, in the space shuttles and things like that because it, it can withstand high temperatures and not melt. However, there are other sort of so-called strange metals, which, you know, basically resist um, sort of scales of temperature in contrast to the usual dependency of ordinary metals. So now they find that at very high magnetic fields, up to 80 Tesla, we'll call it, my favorite guy, um, which is like a, a measure that they use to test the res resistivity of, you know, thin films of metal. And basically, this magnetic field um, activates or has an effect on certain metals. And it's interesting because it sort of touches upon um, the sort of uh, theory on, 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 on abstract metal. Now, when a, met when a metallic state is in high temperature, um, superconducting culprits is basically masked by superconductivity. So it's kind of near a quantum critical point. And there's my favorite word, quantum. <laughs> so this article goes on to say that applying high magnetic fields to suppress the superconductivity enables studies of the normal state of the metal. So basically... There's a direct effect of strong magnetic fields on metallic state. And it's been poorly misunderstood for a very, very, very long time. And now they report that high field magna, uh, magnet, um, uh, magnetic resistance, basically, of, say, a film, a thin film, uh, cuprate, in the vicinity of, say, I don't know, like exposed uh, metal. Uh, suppresses the superconductivity, and it's and and basically that it, it the magnetic field it, it goes up to eighty tesla. Now, what's eighty tesla? Well, it's kind of a measure they use to to study how a, a, a thing vibrates and how it changes or what it does, how how long it holds electricity, um, what's the magnetic properties with this metal, and so forth, so on, so so on, so forth. So just to sum this up for you guys, um, strange and curious metals are being discovered that um, exhibit really interesting behaviors. So as I said earlier, normal metals such as copper and aluminum are sort of old hat now. Uh, physicists have a strong grasp on the behavior of the electrons within these types of metals, but strange metals, what they're calling them, behave in mysterious ways. A lot of research has gone into this and uncovered that additional oddities are occurring. So things are behaving unexpectedly when inside a strong magnetic field. So that's basically the nutshell. With it when it when certain metals are in strong magnetic fields, they're gonna they change their their behaviors. And so this is a really interesting breakthrough in science and in the physics world. Um, and of course theoretical physicists um, it's really, really one of the most interesting things to happen in physics, right? In decades. So I find it really interesting too. Um, the theory that explains the behavior of standard metals can, can't really account for strange metals. So a completely new kind of fundamental physics is needed and they, I don't think they've come sort of into it yet, but, um, the indiscrecies relate to their resistivity. So, 
it's very difficult for electric current to flow through them, I guess, is what scientists are saying. So what they do is they crank up a strange metal's temperature. Its resistivity increases in lockstep. It doubles the temperature and you double the resistivity. That's unusual. In most metals, the charge is 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 resistive and it's more complex, like in, in like in copper. But for example, at low temperatures, the resistivity of a normal metal like copper would hardly change as the temperature inches up, right? So these strange metals behave in a really interesting way out of the norm of physics and out of the attractive scientists' attention. Uh, materials sort of poking in our eye now. Um, they're much more than other materials. So they're looking at other things much more intensely within magnetic fields. And I think that's just amazing. So basically, if you take a magnetic field, you ramp it up, you put this metal inside it, it's going to exhibit similarly weird behavior as it does with temperature. And as magnetic field grows, the resistivity in, say, the cuprate increases, increases apace. And it, it's what's known as a linear relationship Okay, because it looks like a diagonal straight line when plotted on a graph showing resistivity versus magnetic field. In a normal metal, the change in this resistance with increasing magnetic field would be smaller and would not be a straight line. Instead, it would curve, right? Like sound resonance curves. So this to me, I think, is interesting because under certain conditions, um, they become superconducting, transmitting electricity with out resistance. So folks, I'm beginning to think that maybe, just maybe, most superconductors have to be cooled to nearly absolute zero, okay? But these cuprates, or strange metals, operate at significantly higher temperatures. That makes the superconductors easier to use in technological applications, where the elimination of resistance would allow for more efficient, better performing electronics, as this this. Uh, research study paper. Uh, they're studying strange metals could help scientists better understand how cuprates superconduct at high temperatures. So it's kind of a really interesting discovery. And so as I cut myself off earlier, I was about to say, I think that these strange metals we're going to see become developed or with the study of, you know, within the physics communities, begun, become, start to become uh, sort of more mainstream in terms of maybe space travel or perhaps time travel machines or perhaps um, sort of anything to do with 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 holding temperatures at high temperatures. Um, what comes to mind is Star Trek, okay? <laughs> I really have to say it. I can't help it. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to throw it out there. Star Trek, you know, when you have those scenes where they're like, okay, let's raise this, this, and this, and we're going into quantum, you know, let's move the... So I feel like that's the kind of metals that they're talking about here is that under certain conditions, when they sort of raise the warp drive or whatever they used to call it, you know, it's going to act in a different way, which means they can travel in one, in one, in one particular manner and then when they introduce an electromagnetic field, it's going to it's going to act in different, completely different ways. So I think they're going to use that metal to for travel of some kind, whether that's electromagnetic uh, pulse prop, uh, uh, propulsion properties, uh, whether it's it's you know with respect to space shuttle travel, um, is is that going to you know generate more interesting theories with respect to time frames on space travel? I mean, I'm I'm just jumping out at it, but I think it's really fascinating. Um, could be nothing to do with it, but I really think it's interesting. Um, 
So, you know, just, just a little background there. I keep mentioning the word cuprate, and I, and I don't know if you guys understand, but it's basically a copper oxide, okay? Um, and, and, and it has oxygen and various other metals, which, you know, cause various metal atoms and compounds to form sort of like well-organized, like layered, like almost lattice-like structure. And sort of tape made of cuprates are used as high-temperature superconductors, which are used in like large at, – at, at CERN, right? So like the Large Hadron Collider – as sort of it's as it's super cooled ordinary superconductors right so the superconducting part is the copper oxide layer so other layers act as insulators right so i guess what they're doing the key to the high temperature thing is that it, it, it that it's related to the the well organized and layered um, material and basically traveling are these electrons down in two-dimensional, well-insulated layers, basically going in a straight line. Um, if you think about it, you know, in sort of cars traveling down a three-dimensional sort of structure, think sort of like interstate highway, right? There's traffic with cars staying in their lanes versus interstate traffic with intersections kind of curving into one another. So it's really, really interesting sort of um, uh, very interesting find um, and it's so mysterious and I just think it's amazing. And I wanted to share that with you guys. I'll be back right after this. Science was once open-minded to paranormal study. What happened? Parapsychology. When did science give up on paranormal study? So if you look at the official website for Society of the Psychical Research, give it a visit. You're greeted with a quote intended to give up skeptics pause for thought, says an article I found on ALPHR.com. I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of, of regarding everything I cannot explain as a fraud. The quote on its own might not really register if it weren't for the figure it's attributed to, Carl Jung. Yes, Carl Jung in the 1900s. He was a proud member of the society, along with other titans of science and cultural, including William Yates, Sigmund Freud, Arthur Doyle, W.B. Yeats, Lewis Carroll, and Henry Sidgwick. The organization was set up in 1882 to study paranormal phenomena without prejudice or preposition of any kind and in the same spirit of exact and unimpassioned inquiry, which has enabled science to solve so many problems, once not less obscure or less hotly debated, says the article. The Society for Psychical Research once counted titans of science and culture in its membership. And nowadays, the heat of the debate has distinctly cooled, and the study of telepathy, past lives, ghosts, and ESP has been left a much weaker field. Although it was never exactly mainstream, discourse on paranormal research rarely makes its way onto the scientific agenda. The number of universities providing courses in parapsychology barely breaks into double figures. And when they make the news, even the bastion of impartiality, the BBC can't resist giving the report a slightly wacky tone. So, when did the subject cease to be taken seriously? Why is study in decline? Is it because the big names have gone? Is there a lack of funding? Or as many cynics would state, is it because we're living in an enlightened age where the only people who believe in paranormal activity are gullible cranks? I personally don't think that's true. I think that more people coming forward and having experiences and sharing on the internet and, you know, joining groups with each other are really bringing forth some interesting information. And this website basically just talks about, you know, how it used to be a very popular thing in the science communities and now, and now it doesn't. 
But governments and institutions can see real tangible benefit to pushing funding in medical and technological research, and the same can't be said for parapsychology, according to this article. But if we look at the at the website, the Society for uh, for Psychical Research, P S Y C H I C A L, <laughs> which again was founded in 1882, was the first organization to conduct scholarly research into human experiences that changed uh, the challenge of contemporary scientific models forever. So I'm going to this is a really cool website. You guys should go check it out. Um, they talk about various things. They talk about new books. They have a library. They have a PSI encycl encyclopedia, which is kind of neat. Um, they have their own, you know, sort of um, research that they're, that they're doing. And it sort of continues on. So um, you can also follow them on Twitter. It's called SPR. Uh, let's see. Let's look at something recent. So August 29th. Um, so there was an SPR discussion group, Reincarnation, Overshadowing, or Fraud, the Weisserak case, W-I-E-C-Z-O-R-E-K, which looks very interesting. And what else is in the news? They're talking about um, an annual conference that took place uh, for psychic phenomena and consciousness, which was in September 21st of this year. Um, and... Basically, you can go here, you can register, you can you can join. Um, there's wonderful news and blogs and events and publications and recordings. Um, there's actually a really interesting blog on a book review uh, named The Boy Who Knew Too Much, which is basically a true story. Um, and it's pretty astounding. It's it's of a boy's past life memories. It's written by Kathy Bird, B-Y-R-D. And then there's another one, um, which is a review on paranormal encounters on Britain's roads, phantom figures, UFOs, and missing time. And there's so many more books out there. I mean, you can look at, oh gosh, there's so many wonderful books on the paranormal and um, just the psychic research that's, that's out there is crazy. And But it's not mainstream, you know, it's not in the scientific communities, but I feel like it is. They're just not really, you know, it's not on the forefront of their tongue. They just, they kind of want to like, I think, study it behind closed doors and, you know, do their research where no one can see. Um, that's my opinion anyways, guys. But there's a really cool article as well, July 23rd of this, of just this past month, which says that at the 42nd International Annual Conference of the Society of, of Psychical Research, the Phenomenal and Consciousness Provisional Program for our annual conference was published. So you can click and read that. Um, and there's just some really interesting things. So go check this website out. Uh, let's go see if there's any. Let's go look. Let's go see about their current research projects and see what's happening here. Okay, so they've got lectures and da, 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 projects that they're going on to. Okay, so this is cool. So there's one project that's taking place um, with, I believe, Dr. Andrea Summer. And it's to examine key German historical debates over possession, states, and mediumship, their reception by mainstream scientists, and to explore their significance during the professionalization of German parapsychology. <laughs> Which, as we all know, a lot of science came out of Germany during our, our century, um, or I should say our millennia. 
there's another one here that's really interesting is um, an examination of the role of flotation tanks and sensory isolation in producing psi conductive imagery, which is awesome, by Dr. Callum Cooper and David uh, Sanders. Um, and that's really neat. That reminds me of an episode on Fringe, my absolutely favorite television series. If you guys have never seen it, I mean, you got a rainy day coming, binge watch the, this show. It is so awesome. And they had this scene where, you know, the main character kept going into this like sensory deprivation tank where it was filled with water and salt. And she would literally have out of conscious, um, subconscious sort of, um, she would get into like memories and subconscious memories and, and she could pull information out. I mean, it was just incredible, but there's really cool studies actually taking place on this. Um, which is really interesting. There's another lecture at the University of East London, and that's a project to explore the effect of emotional arousal on dream precognition and following up on findings from meta-analysis of dream ESP studies, which is another wonderful topic I'd like to explore this 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 year. So you're kind of getting the gist of where I'm going with with my show this year, again, with 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 the para paranormal. Um but there's a lot of great stuff here, and I really think you should give it a look if you're interested. I know I've had some emails about um, telekinesis and things like that, and, you know, I'm all up for for information and having discussions about that. So if you want to, you know, reach out to me, you can get in touch with me um, at uh, Foxfire Fringe Radio uh, at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with me on Facebook, um, or you can get in touch with me by Messenger, and just shoot me up. We'll have a convo, we'll tape it, put you on the air. It'll be great. So I'm going to leave you guys for a moment. I'll be back right after this. So just a heads up, they just had their 61st annual convention of the Parapsychology Association in um, Petaluma, California. And it basically talked about, let's see, extrasensory perception, psychokinesis, psychic healing, altered states of consciousness, mediumship, and possible survival of bodily death. So we're talking about the afterlife. Um, this year, they addressed um, prominent research in the field of unexplained aerial phenomena, which is ufology. And also computer science and artificial intelligence, AI, and software of consciousness. So it's very intriguing to me that this happened. I'm really looking forward to reading about um, this um, conference. Um, it happened between the 2nd and 5th of August. So I would imagine that, that it would the articles will be coming out soon. So I'm going to keep you updated on that. Um, but just to switch topics a bit, we're going to go into the news and see what's going on in the news politically right now. So we have, hmm, sorry folks, I mean politically, I mean politically with respect to um, the science, not politics. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Trump. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm just going to, I'm going to type in news, August, 2018. Let's go with NDA. Here we go. March 22nd, sorry, March 27th. 
2018. New studies suggest existence of meditation-induced near-death experiences. New research by the University of Derby into near-death experiences, NDE, has shown that they can be induced through meditation with wider implications for our understanding of the phenomena and our ability to, exa to examine what happens to an individual during an NDE. In the first study of its kind, Dr. William Van Gordon from the University Center of um, Psychological Research followed 10 advanced Buddhist meditators from eight different countries over a three-year period. He, compared me he compared meditation-induced NDEs to other regular meditation practices and assessed their defining features to ensure they met the criteria of a conventional NDE. Around 4% of adults in Western countries report having an NDE when they are close to dying or in the period between clinical death and resurrection, or I should say resuscitation. <laughs> Although individual cultural and religious factors influence the vocabulary, why I laughed, people use, the, uh, use uh, to describe the interpret of their NDA consensual scientific opinion and suggests that there is little variation in the components to an NDE. But these typical um, out-of-body experiences or loss of sense of time, space, communicating with light beings, meeting loved ones, looking back over their lives, can often be transformational, prompting enhanced levels of intuition, changes in life insight, and a greater understanding of the self. The studies show that some advanced Buddhist meditation practitioners are able to harness these experiences at will, fostering insight into the, into the psychology of death-related processes, as well as the nature of self and reality more generally. Unlike regular NDEs, participants were con uh, consciously aware of experiencing the meditation-induced NDE and retained control over its content and duration. So the assessment was, though a number of means, including like administra administering a battery of uh, psychometric scales within 24 hours of participants completing their meditation. As a control, they also completed uh, psychometric tests for a standard me a meditation practice that did not induce an NDE or involve any form of contemplation on death or death-related processes, as well as one that involved reflecting on death, but again, did not induce an NDE. So that was the control to measure against the study. So participants reported that during the meditation-induced NDE, they visited non-worldly -world realms, experienced what happens during and after death, experienced a state existence known as the emptiness. Compared to regular forms of meditation, the meditation-induced NDE led to five-fold increase in mystical experiences and a four-fold increase in feelings of non-attachment. -atta Findings also demonstrated that the profoundity um, of the meditation-induced NDE increased across the three-year study period, suggesting that the experience can be learned and perfected over time. Unlike regular NDEs, participants were consciously aware of experiencing the meditation-induced um, NDE and retained uh, um, control over its content and duration. So Dr. Van Gordon himself, experienced meditation practitioner, was the principal investigator for the study. And the research was carried out in a collaboration with um, the Awake to Wisdom Center for Meditation and Mindfulness Research in Italy. The Psychology Division of Lincoln's Bishop Grosset University, uh, I hope I said that right, <laughs> Grosset Test, uh, and, the, and the Miguel Survey uh, University Hospital in Spain and Nottingham Trent University Psychology Department. 
So Dr. Van Gordon said, and I quote, the practice of using meditation to gain a better understanding of death is longstanding, particularly in Buddhism, where ancient texts exist that aim to help spiritual practitioners prepare for or gain insight into the process of dying. And the study appears to confirm the existence of these meditation-induced NDEs, which have never been observed or investigated under research conditions before. So this is kind of huge, folks. Um, it says, uh, quote, a key implication is that the present study shows it would be feasible and ethical for future research to recruit advanced meditators to assess real-time changes in a person's neurological activity during an NDE. To date, the health risks, the ethical challenges associated with conducting such a study and those experiencing a regular NDE have made this impossible. So this is kind of really awesome, you guys. And I think it's a new field of study that, again, um, is is just going to flourish. And um, they have done, they have, I've mentioned this on other uh, broadcasts of mine, that they have done studies where they have actually measured a person when dying and their body is lighter after death than it was before death. And there's really no scientific explanation except for they feel that because the soul left the body, the body is now less weighted down. That's one theory. Um, but I feel like this, these studies are going in the right, right direction. And as you can see, some of these departments are doing them on their own. And these, you know, scientists are, are sort of taking it upon themselves to do this, to do these research, um, uh, you know, scientific um, studies and things like that so that, you know, we can we can get to a point where it becomes mainstream again. I think if more people do this around the world and bring their research to the mainstream, thank you for internet, um, we're going to see it again. And, um, you know, we're not just going to get, you know, updates on, you know, the space programs and, you know, psych psych psychiatry and psychology, but it will become again, I think a major, a major point in, in the study of, of humanity, because I believe, again, we are all uh, a person uh, with 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 amnesia we are we are a culture that stemmed from another time another dimension where if reincarnation exists we we just we're born we die and we forget and i think that you know this goes back to pre-sumerian pre-atlantean i mean we just i feel like we've been around for a very long time and and if we could you know get to the bottom of of what our true powers are you know if we can study what it means to experience out of body experience or or near death experience or the other side the other realm and be in touch with that as 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 highly skilled you know buddhists meditation specialists can do and you know there's so many mystical properties to a lot of, of of stuff out there and i'm just really excited that this is you know that this is happening and i think it's very important um so i'm just gonna leave you on that note and i'll be right back after this <laughs> Okay, guys, I'm back. So I just kind of want to bring up the last topic of the evening and um, one of my personal favorite um, obsessions, <laughs> besides Egypt, uh, is the Stargate. So in Hacker News, I was sort of scrolling around and I came across this guy. And there's a kind of a string here going. I'm not going to read it all, but I just, I kind of want to just show you a little bit about what people are talking about. It's really interesting. It's called, um, 
uh, well, it's in, it's called Hacker News, but anyway, it, it's basically the CIA Stargate collection. There's about 174 posts um, and about 122 comments and whatever, but it, it but these were all posted within the last few months. So, on Wikipedia, Stargate Project was the code name for a secret U.S. Army unit established. Just some background for you guys. Established in 1978 at Fort Meade. Maryland by the Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA, and the CRI Intelligence, a California contractor, to investigate the potential for psychic phenomena in military and domestic intelligence applications. Let me read that again, just so you catch it. It was a code name for a secret U.S. Army unit established in 1978 by the Defense Intelligence Agency and its SRI Intelligence Agency, which is international, basically, to investigate the potential for psychic phenomena in military and domestic intelligence applications. Domestic, folks. So the project and its uh, precursors and sister projects went by various code names, such as Gondola Wish, Grill Flame, Center Lane, Sunstreak, Scanate, and etc. Until 1991, when they were consolidated and rechristened as, quote, Stargate Project, quote, unquote. So the really interesting thing is that those experiments, that, the, that recently these experiments were conducted, and it's somewhat mind-boggling that the U.S. still researched, you know, lots of things since this time period and it's still taking place. So this guy posts, he says, I'm actually okay with this truly insignificant portion of government spending keeps muscle memory or how to investigate truly bizarre phenomena keeps muscle memory of how to conduct research outside of the known to be flawed academic peer review system. <laughs> I agree. And then somebody else says, uh, I guess that the people handling out the money are laymen unable to discern science that lies outside the mainstream from crackpot theories. Governments probably want to fund all kinds of weird research in fear of missing out on the next atom bomb, but there was a long and rich history of rigorous science leading up to the development of the atom bomb, and I imagine the same is true about the development of ICBMs, etc. And that was post, uh, posted by Just May, 63 days ago. Um, so then another guy says, ICBMs emerged extremely fast after the V2. It has a lot more in common with this parapsychology research than with nuclear fission. And then somebody else mentions the Trinity test was two and a half years after the first man-made self-sustaining nuclear reaction and 12 years after the idea of nuclear chain reaction was first proposed. The R-7 ICBM first flew 13 years after the V-2. I'd say nuclear fission developed a lot faster than ICBMs. And then Genzel says, I'd peg the beginning of the research that Joss May mentioned at the discovery of radioactivity. The science was already well underway when research reactors were being built. And then somebody else adds, okay, in that case, it took 49 years from the discovery of radioactivity to the production of the atomic bomb. It took 60 years from the development of the um, Tislavsky rocket equation to the production of the ICBM. Nuclear science still advanced significantly faster than rocket science. So then somebody else mentions rocketry was already well underway when the V2 flew. 
And then the next mention is, in some ways, ICBMs are literally connected with parapsychology. And then they reference Jack Parsons, the rocket engineer. If intelligence gathering and the reports produced by such were now were analyzed and critiqued with the same rigor as the known-to-be-flawed peer review system, you'd be horrified at what our tax dollars are being spent on. And then Weber C2 posts, I doubt it. My tax dollars are already spent on lots of things that are known to be actively harmful, not just low probability of ROI. For example, any critical theory university program. And then somebody mentions, what's wrong with critical theory? How are tax dollars funding the study of it? And then it just goes on and on and on. But basically, this this program was an economic strategy, okay? Both sides were willing to start programs to counter each other. Even if those programs seemed silly, neither wanted to be caught, like, you know, being practical and all. Uh, so they researched it sort of basically under closed doors, Okay, much like Area 51. And the F-15 programs and, and, and Buran and, and, you know, the U.S. builds a space shuttle, so the USSR needs one too. And, you know, the space, war, space wars begin. Or I should say race. I should say race. The space race began. But, you know, just in case the U.S. decides to activate shuttle's military features – Buran flies a couple times and it's shelved as impractical. Net result, billions of rubles not spent on other missile rocket programs. Conversely, the Americans convinced themselves that the MIG-25 was an epic superfighter. It wasn't. Billions were poured into F-15 development to counter a threat that didn't exist. Billions that might have been spent on anything else. Net result, while the F-15 went on to be a great fighter, the USSR remained ahead in high-speed inceptions for two decades, says Sandworm 101. This, the Pentagon buried a McKinsey study detailing at $125 billion in waste with almost no pushback from the public and then comes to proposal for additional $300 billion budget increase with no efforts to optimize existing processes. Going to the cloud and modernizing technology will only solve some of the problems. The rest are non-technical, bureaucratic. So just to put things in perspective, if... The Pentagon optimizes its spending and saves $125 billion. All public colleges can, can be tuition-free. And government will still have $62 billion left. Side note, public colleges can also be made tuition-free if government scraps financial aid programs that it has, says this guy. Uh, hospice. So they're basically talking, they're ranting back and forth about, you know, the effects of the programs and how it all came from the Stargate program, you know, evolving into space travel and fighter jets and the speed of, you know, flight and things like that. But the Stargate goes back many, 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 many. I mean, like you, like Pumakunku and, and all these different ancient sites around the world, there's basically all these like tea keyholes and, and buildings and, and mountains. And, and if you talk to the cultures there... They'll tell you that they are doorways. And these doorways are basically dimensional paths to other worlds or other dimensions or different timelines, whichever you want to call it. And that we are all connected in some way and that there is so much more magic to this world than meets the eye. 
And so, you know, they, they go on to, to, to sort of jump from this program into all the things that we know today. We have, you know, the F-15 fighter jets, we have the stealth fighter jets, we have, you know, our, 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 our space shuttle programs, our, you know, man-made engineered AI technology that can, you know, like our ran land rover on Mars and things like that, our wonderful laser technology, our lovely, uh, um, Periscope technology, our fantastic satellite technology, and the re and and sound resonance, and everything else, and all of this came from the study of these so-called stargates. So I'm just going to jump off this site and talk about um, the fact that a lot of people believe that these places, and and in the culture as well, are real. And that, and even if they're not real right now, that they were real at some point in history, you know, Atlantean, pre-Atlantean, nobody really knows. But the people that live in these communities believe they will be activated again. And a lot of people think it's coming, guys. We are living in very strange times, very strange times indeed. Well, I guess that wraps it up for today. I'm so glad you joined me. I hope to... Um, broadcast again soon and i hope you join me for that as well again uh this is foxfire fringe radio i'm your host foxfire fringe it's been a pleasure and until we meet again do some research go on the websites illuminate your mind break free your spirit go enjoy some strange and unusual information check out stargates check out egypt check out telekinesis check out telepathy check out esp and nde Look around and find what's interesting to you. Until again, we meet. Take care. And be good to each other, guys. Foxfire out.